Welcome to Dude Exactly, a podcast where each episode starts with a question about music or movies and devolves into a random discussion between longtime friends. That's music professor and composer Brian Cobb. And that's conductor and military musician Domingos Robinson. What's up, dude? Not much. I am so excited for today's discussion. What are we talking about? Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's what we planned. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we'll find out here soon enough. But, right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, um, so I don't even know where to begin. I mean, I'll, I'll ask you the question um, only because I think we need to we need to get to this uh, as soon as possible because um, you know this is a a subject area that you and I talk a lot about have talked a lot about you know our our whole friendship really um, right the early days man yeah <clears throat> and so I'll ask you this brother uh, what are the greatest film scores of all time well. I have a lot to say about this and, you know, when we started talking about perhaps this being our, our focus, right? The first thing is like, okay, it, 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 we, we have to think about the film score in its function, right? To support a film, which means that, you know, we've got to be considering the entirety, right? Mm -hmm. of a film, right, which certainly knocks, you know, many off the list for me, you know, even though I'm like, oh, I love this theme or something like that. Uh, so, you know, that's the first thing. And, you know, a, a counter question to you is wh what do you look for in a film score? Like what what does it need to do for you? Yeah. <clears throat> well, I mean, it, it has to serve the film, right? So it's a film score. It's not a piece of music. Um, right you know, for a concert. It has to uh, serve the plot. It has to know when to uh, take the lead. Right. Know? So, you know, whether that's in an emotional moment or whether that's in a, you know, moment of action. Um, yes. You know, uh, you know, because the, because you have the plot, you have the dialogue, you have the acting, the cinematography, so all of those components make up you know, the, kind of the, the visual and oral aspect of the film that drives the story and plot. What the music should do is provide an emotional context. Right. Mm -hmm. And help the viewer gain a sense of what is happening, why it's happening, uh, what the uh, actors, the, the people that are doing this doing the film, what are they, the characters, that's the, that's what I'm looking for. What are they called? <laughs> right. <laughs> the characters, uh, what are they thinking and feeling? And so to me, that's what a good film score does. And there are obviously many ways to accomplish it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I would, you know, back, you know, a, a lot of what you're saying, you know, for me, in a way I, I want it to be, not detracting, detracting from the film, number one. Sometimes, you know, it can be there and noticeable, but I think, you know, if I'm moved and I sort of lose myself in the film, then I sort of feel like, you know, it has it has done its job. But I don't mind it to be in front enough 
where it's has a particular style that is unique you know and i i think as we sort of talk through this right we're going to have that as a part of what makes the best film scores of all time now a couple of things you know just to be uh piggyback on your your point of dialogue right so uh those of you listening that don't know you know about the the soundtrack right it's divided into three layers right obviously the most important is the dialogue the second would be uh the foley or the or the sound effects and you know the third what we're talking about is the film music right which is there to do you know serve many different roles and <clears throat> from a technical standpoint right we've got you know basically two types we have diegetic or source music which is in the film itself what the characters are listening to and mm -hmm. everything is selected what's on the radio what's being played you know if you're walking by a band playing live or something like everything is selected and that's really cool right yeah, because yeah. then you can dig into you know why would a, a director want that particular song on the radio that you can barely hear right mm -hmm. but it's these little hidden you know um gems and the other thing is the you know the types of scores you know i, I think for the most part you know it's going to be a mixture of diegetic and non-diegetic if it's original right then really what we're talking about is the is the um, non-diegetic, which is the underscore. Yeah. Right. Um, and when we hear, you know, the different types of scores, right, we, we, we've got the original, we've got the adapted, which is most of the music is, is borrowed from other sources, but it's been transformed, right? It's not originally written for the film. And we have the compilation score, which is built from pre-existing material and in many cases, just other recordings that have been licensed to be used, mm. right? And um, that I'm sure will, I wonder if that will come up because um, looking at sort of my research here, I'm wondering where that falls for me. But, um, and the last thing is just the idea of the, the eclectic score, which is sort of outdated because I think you know, the, the idea of having different styles of music in a film score, you know, and I'm talking geographical or time period, mm -hmm. you know, it sort of goes part and parcel with, you know, what, what we would expect. And when something is eclectic and is out of time or out of, like, for instance, the great Gatsby, you know, the new version, you know, that had, you know, modern music, that's quite a, you know, a, um, a juxtaposition. Um, right. So yeah, technically, you know, these are the things that, you know, I get excited about because, you know, each of these films, there are just an amazing layers here and uh, I'm excited to talk about it. So yeah, we're at our list. We have 10 each and Domingos, what I think we should do here, if it's okay with you, is that we divide um, this podcast up in two parts we'll do our, our, you know, first five. Um, I didn't necessarily put them in order, um, chronological order of best to worst or anything like that, because they're all great. Um, right. But you know, for, for different reasons. Um, yeah, then, same here. I, I didn't do that. Yeah. Okay, great. And 
just to verify, you know, these are ones that we think are great film scores from the beginning to the end and that we've seen these films. Right. right. Okay. Yeah, we've actually watched them. Yep. Yeah, right on. So so my I, I have to start with, you know, the the first great film composer, uh, Max Steiner. Um, certainly a legend in film scoring history. And this, the my choice, um, there's a lot to choose from. He has quite a body of work, but I, I went with mm -hmm. the 1933 score to King Kong. And, yeah. you know, this one I, I chose is first because it, I think is important in its place in history because it, it really showed the executives of studios how important a film score can be to a film. Uh, and mm -hmm. certainly when it comes to horror, um, you know, that type of, of film, you know, film music's really important. And I'm sure this won't be the, you know, the only horror we're going to have on the list. At least I sure. can guarantee it. <laughs> so, so what I uh, chose for a clip here um, is the is the sacrifice uh, scene um, of a female to King Kong, and uh, we'll we'll see her sort of put up, and we'll hear the music sort of build, and then we'll hear a technique also used in this early uh, scoring. Uh, called Mickey Mousing, right? Which is, yeah. you know, to to give an illusion of of a of a sound effects or a bodily motion or something through through the music, right? So, um, mm -hmm. have you seen this film? I actually have never seen the original King Kong. All right, well, cool. So so I'm just gonna plop you right in, and and you'll yeah. hear, you know, as we go over, we'll we'll talk about a few things, but here's the music. I mean, for the first film score, this is like above and beyond. No, I mean, this is like uh, insane. You know, when you think about a full orchestra in the studio recording this. Right. <laughs> no overdubs. No. <laughs> I mean, not having the music here is interesting. Um, 
Yeah, it adds, adds to the tension for sure. Especially when it was so much. Right. Right. Here's, here's the Mickey Mouse thing, right? We don't even see him, but we can hear the footsteps. Yeah, this would look ridiculous without the music. <laughs> okay, I think we've had <laughs> enough. <laughs> yeah, but it really is amazing what what the music adds, you know. Oh yeah, it, you uh, you definitely you could I could I could see like if we were watching a little longer, you start to forget that it's so primitive looking. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Because the music is so engrossing and. And uh, it really does give the character of of Kong there. Really amazing. All right, man. So I guess I'm I'm up next. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to see to, to see what you got. So I got my um, Skywalker sound uh, mug here in in honor of uh, talking about film scores. So <laughs> nice. I have some tea here. But uh, so my first one uh, is. Uh, by Ennio Morricone, oh, and yes, mm -hmm. and you know he's one that um, he, he has a lot of great scores. Yeah, uh, but you know the one that I think sticks out to me more than any other is uh, you know from the the trio of westerns he did with Leone, and 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 that's um, the third one is the, is the probably the most well-known and iconic, and that's The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Uh, Clint Eastwood. Yeah, yeah Clint Eastwood film. Um, you know, it really has like that iconic, well, what is now an iconic sound and motif that everyone uh, would recognize, you know, from the, the Italian Westerns there. And the, the themes were, that main theme that, that we'll hear you know, was inspired by the coyote sound that you hear actually in the beginning of the film. Mm. And so it kind of mimics that, the coyote. Right. You know, you actually hear that like right at the beginning of the film, a couple coyotes. Nice. Um, which is really interesting. And so I guess that inspired him, you know, when he saw the the rough take. Cool. Um, you know, great use of, of uh, using one theme, but different voicings for the three main characters. Mm. So he's got like a pan flute for Blondie, that's uh, Clint Eastwood's character, uh, a, uh, like a deep uh, flute uh, that's called a ocarina for Snake Eyes, and then voices for Tuco, the, you know, the ugly guy. Yeah. Um, but, it's the th <laughs> but it's the same theme, just different voices, you know, uh, different right. instruments. So, um, so yeah, let's, maybe let's listen to uh, the main theme here, uh, the good, bad, and the ugly. Oh, yeah. That coyote sound. 
and at the time this was so distinctive nothing yeah. like it so different from american westerns like high noon or anything use of whistling yeah and that's something he used in in other spaghetti westerns as mm. well in harmonica and sort of those lonely instruments guitar right electric guitar Yeah, so I mean, it's a it's a great tune. I mean, it's yeah, this is great. I mean, in terms of you know it unifying a, a full film, I mean, this definitely is one of the greatest. You know, because yeah. it's so inventive. Like even now, like if you were to hear this for the first time now, this would mm. be as fresh today. I think you would be mm -hmm. like, this music is great. It has such a distinct character. Yeah. You know, just wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, you know, the uh, couple other things here, you know, the there's some really amazing cues in this. Um, you know, one that's really famous is the Ecstasy of Gold. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, we're not going to play that one here. Um, but it's it's amazing because it's it's freaking, uh, you know, basically Tuco like running in circles in a cemetery. You don't hear anything. I mean, I mean, you don't uh, see anything. It's just you see this him running around in circles, and uh, the music just keeps building and building and building, and it really creates this like amazing cinematic deal that's just crazy. And without the music, you'd be like, "What is happening?" Right. You know, what I mean, he's just running in circles. I mean, for like three minutes, and then the other one that's really amazing, which I think we're going to listen to, is. Uh, the standoff between the three main characters, again, completely relies on the music for the for the t the the tension, you know, because there's nothing really happening, right? But you'll hear, but you'll hear the amazing, um, uh, you know, tension uh, that the music creates, right? And I'm I'm thinking, um, yeah, with this one, you say, you know, nothing's happening. But everything's happening because oh yeah because someone's dying or two people yeah. are dying <laughs> yeah you know it is it is not going to be Clint Eastwood right <laughs> all right so let's uh, let's hear it yeah I'll give you and I'll give a little play by play as it's happening you got three guys standing in a triangle getting to their spots for this duel. And I love the graves in the background. You yeah. know, symbolic. But they're just sizing each other up and waiting to get there, slowly making their way to their spots.
going to get a wide shot, and that's where the solo trumpet comes in. Really amazing, you know, just at that slow build as they're kind of sizing each other up. And then when you finally get the wide shot where you can see all three in the triangle, that's where you get the, that, ex, you know, crescendo into the solo trumpet. And of course, Morricone was a, a trumpet player, I believe. So. Mm, nice. Um, yeah, it's, it's great. It really is a, it's a great film, but it's also this, actually this one, and I think the Ecstasy of Gold were re-edited after Morricone uh, wrote the, the music. Oh, so they okay. Ed, they, they edited it to the music. Right, which is, uh, yeah, what uh, Spielberg did at the end of E.T. For, yeah. with John Williams, yeah. Great. Nice. Yeah, excellent <laughs> choice. I mean, really, all of those spaghetti westerns, they're great, and they give the proper, you know, uh, I think emphasis on the duel right that you see in those films where yeah, oh, yeah. and the, you know the thing about you know morricone is that his choice of instrumentation i think that's what sets him apart personally you know and and yeah. he can write you know just really interesting melodies and yeah but he's a complete he's a complete composer and really um i think he attacks each um each project like as a you know, it's, it's not like, hey, I'm going to bring the Marconi sound to this. Right. You know what I mean, like he doesn't, I mean, yeah, you could, you can find, you know, similarities between his scores, but he really does bring a unique thing to each film. He really does. Yep. Can't agree more, man. All right. So, so with my next one, um, I'm going to go to probably... Well, it's hard to say which is the most important film score, but I think this one has been troped probably more than any other, and it is a great film score. It is that good, and that is um, Bernard Herrmann's film score to Psycho, and this is uh -huh. 1960, um, and he um, had a self-inflicted... Um, you know, sort of a one arm behind the back uh, approach like um, uh, Alfred Hitchcock did with filming in black and white. He filmed in, you know, timbrel black and white with the strings. Um, mm. So it's just really powerful in that way because, you know, color film was a, a certainly around. Uh, so the choice right. to to use that and then also, you know, just using one body of instruments you know, gives will give the film a, a particular sound. So let's hear the opening just so we can get a sense of what the what the opening music sounds like because it's pretty terrifying.
Yeah, there's such an urgency to mm. this, right? Yeah, so so what's interesting about about this opening is that you know it it's built more in in I think the the texture itself um instead of it being a theme, right? It's more rhythmic in that sense. I mean, there is a a, a light motif here, but it's it's devised in a way that it can be easily manipulated. And yeah. we hear this, you know, this theme or this, you know, body uh, of of music throughout the film score um, connected with paranoia, right? Because Marion, mm -hmm. the um, the main character, at least at the beginning, right, is uh, stole some money and she's paranoid, right? She's going to meet her lover, and you know the police are following her, but are they right? So she's acting suspicious. So. You know, the when we hear this, the pacing is just it's crisp. It sort of, you know, has that that string, um, you know, legato melody that is worried. But it, I mean, it's just such an interesting, you know, uh, combination. Now, you know, the most, I think, important, um, you know, part of this film score is the one everyone knows, right? It's the it's the shower scene and mm -hmm. here what we're what we're seeing is the use of the strings you know um and just a stabbing motion right so it's not mickey mousing but it's like capturing the terror of you know what what is happening which is a mm -hmm. death by stabbing Man, it's really terrifying, you know? And then, you know, she's been stabbed, now she's drifting down the bat uh the shower mm. wall. It is. Right you hit those double bases. All right, so next for me, I'm staying in the 1960s, Maurice Jarre, and uh, it's the, you know, the great uh, Lawrence of Arabia. You know, this one, I think, is a great example of, you know, the director and the composer being really complementary. Right. Uh, you know, the score, you know, especially like the first, I would say, half to two thirds of the film really complements the like the expansiveness of the cinematography mm -hmm. and so there's that it really heightens like the emotional i guess context of the viewer and so like there are a lot of scenes where you know in the absence of dialogue the music really helps the viewer understand like what the characters are 
are feeling and thinking. Right. And, um, you know, you have the one scene where Lawrence, he rescues like a, a guy who was like left for dead in the desert, right? And, you know, he was, Lawrence was basically told, hey man, he's gone, leave yeah. him. You know, no one ever crosses the expanse of the desert, you know, is, is going to get that guy and then bring him back to the camp. It's just not happening. Well, Lawrence does it. And the, his arrival back into camp, the music elevates him to godlike status. Right. Like, the, you know, cinematography wise, it's just, what's his name? Uh, Lawrence on a, on a camel riding in. Yep. You can just kind of see his eyes because his face is all covered yep. up. But the music really elevates him to like this God status. Right, right. And really, uh, really amazing. Um, right. And, 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 you know, and that's one of the, you know, the important things about film music, you know, if you haven't really thought about it, is that, you know, it's informing you of so much more than just, you know, action or something, right? It's showing you what the people who are seeing this character believe. Exactly. Yeah. And then so the, the clip that I want to play is, you know, the the famous match cut. Oh, um, yeah. OK. The cue. Mm -hmm. And it's a great example, again, of the marriage between, you know, cinematography and score, because, you know, you have this it, it opens with uh, Lawrence, you know, uh, lighting a match. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's been just been told he's going to go on this mission in the desert there. And he says, oh, it's going to be fun. Right. And then the the match goes to cuts to the sun in the desert. And so you, the sun is like just under the horizon and it slowly rises up obviously. Uh, and then the music rises with it. And then you come out to the, you see the expanse of the desert for the first time yeah. in the film and you hear it in the, in the music and jar scores. So. Right. So this, Let's check that yeah, out. Great choice. <sighs> Right, so now we see the desert and the well, the sun coming up. Great, great choice. And, you know, that's also one of the great themes as well, right? It is. And yeah, you know exactly it. where you are. And, and, you know, that's something else that's very important for a, a film score to do, right? Place you in a geographical location. Sometimes it's also a time period. Uh, yeah. Whether you're doing it through the, you know, the theme or whether you're doing it through the, the orchestration um yeah being able to you hear that and that's what you hear you hear the desert it's amazing yeah awesome so i'm going to go to another i think classic and well certainly the film composer we haven't talked about yet our first john williams score and 
like Max Steiner, like Bernard Herrmann, you know, there's so much to choose from. <laughs> so yeah. the film score to me that I think is just unifying the entire film. If you lose the music, you, you, you lose the identity of the film and so much that it's actually part of the narrative. And that is Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And um, I've got two clips that I just want to show you. So part of sort of the message from beings from another world is through music. And as the researchers are going around trying to figure out, you know, with these finds of, you know, a ship from, you know, 30 years ago is now in a desert. And, you know, so there, you know, there's this mystery here and they happen upon a a village and this is in india and we hear um a religious service and they're singing the theme so they're pulling up and they're everyone's rushing to this religious scene Right, they're singing it in a a different way than you would hear it in orchestrated sort of film music uh, version, you know, the concert version, but we can definitely hear it, right? We can hear that triadic um, unfolding. Um, so the next scene I want just to, you know, also connect this is when we we get to the end of the film with the with the final contact and we have the dialogue here through music between the humans and the aliens. Sunset. Go. Okay. Start with the tone. Tang. Go. Up a full count. Down a major third. Now drop an octave. <laughs> cool blue. Go. Up a perfect fifth. Nothing. Nothing at all. We have a possible anomaly range. A lot of pressure on that keyboardist. I was just going to say, was this his chance? I love how they're talking to himself. In the and then he's got that movie. Right, he's, he's got the hand language. Yeah.
We'll stop there, but um, but the dialogue between the two, right? It's it's you know this one's monothematic, right? It's it's mm -hmm. pretty much just one main main melody, but it's its purpose is so much, right? There's a wonder, right? It being triadic is that it's universal, right? Yeah, and that's yeah. a uh, yeah, that's a neat feature I I think of this one. Um, so yeah, that's my yeah. pick. And he uses like other, like the the entire score is not like that. I mean, that's yeah, yeah, right. You know what I mean? It's like that that one part of the score is very much like that, and then other parts of the score, as we even heard in the little bit of undercurrent there, uses dissonance a lot and stuff to create tension. And yeah, and so when when you get to this particular uh, little motif, it really sticks out because everything else is kind of either not there or you know, dissonant or tension. And stuff yeah, like that. it's, it's really... it's very textural and abstract, yeah. you know, which, which I, I really appreciated. And, you know, it still holds up, you know, I watched this with my hmm. children, and they were just captivated. So yeah, it's been years since I've watched. This oh, movie. it's great, man. All right, man. So for my next one, uh, I'm going to, this is um, 1968. So I guess one more in the 60s. Um, <laughs> great. Yeah, great all, decade. All of the great film scores were done in that <laughs> one decade. Um, and this is uh, Jerry Goldsmith. Uh, so my my first Jerry Goldsmith uh, of, of, uh, of the day. And, and this one is, um, so, you know, he has a lot of great scores. Uh, you know, he's, he's obviously one of the great, great film composers. You know, he did the... Uh, you know, uh, Star Trek, you know, the, the motion picture. And he did, I think he did like maybe four of the pictures of Star Trek mm. and a, a ton of other stuff, right? Oh, yeah. Body works um, huge. Patton, you know, he did Patton. Yep. But uh, the one I'm choosing is uh, Planet of the Apes. Wow, great choice. So, <laughs> and this one is one that, you know, you're not going to like sit down and listen to necessarily, but I think it's like really... Uh, perfect for the film yeah. and so you know he really captures the kind of upside down nature of this film right because uh, it's a it's about a planet where the apes are the ape, apex mm -hmm. predator or the apex primate I wouldn't, I wouldn't say predator but mm -hmm. yes if you're the apex you are the predator but they're the apex primate and humans are uh, a rung below them which is of course the opposite of the way it is uh on our earth Right, um, you know, it's very primal, and so uh, the music really captures that kind of upside down, primal nature, and he does it one with, um, you know, the score is primarily atonal, and uh, the uses a lot of instruments that are non-traditional. So you have, you know, like vibra slaps. You have um, a massive array of a percussion. You have pots and pans and Tupperware and all kinds of crap. Yeah, I think some stuff he actually brought from his his own kitchen because mm -hmm. he, he was probably playing around with stuff. He's like, "Oh, that's the sound," you know. And then his, probably his wife is like, "Why are you taking my Tupperware?" Away? <laughs> right. You know, it's like this is the sound I need, man. Right. You know, so um, he uses, um, and I think we'll hear it in this clip. He uses a shofar, mm. which is like a like a ram horn yeah. kind of type of deal, and that 
actually cues the first time we see the gorillas uh, on horseback. Because I think, and we will see it here in a second. Well, you and I will see it, the people listening to this yeah. will. But um, the first time you just see hu uh, humans like running for their lives. And then you see for the first time the gorillas on horseback. And that's when you hear the, the shofar. So I think in this clip, you're going to, you know, you'll really hear this kind of off kilter, topsy turvy, you know, what the hell is happening feel. Right. And, and, and this is for the hunt is the cue. So let's uh, maybe check it out. So far. Yeah, so you can hear them. You, know, you can hear them running. Oh, yeah. People, they're just running, trying to figure out where they hide. Right, when you hear that atonality there. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, you know, when you mm. hear this one, you know, that, that low piano part, it becomes mm. very much a part of not only film music, but also TV scores, right? It's sort of the, oh, yeah. okay, someone's, you know, trying to escape or someone's looking for someone, you know, like it's, mm -hmm. it's very intriguing, but also in this one, it's terrifying, you know? Yeah. And he does a good job too, um, uh, where he doesn't use music. So, um, you know, there's a, there's a couple well, basically the last part. So, um, you know, the last uh, main scene there when uh, Taylor, the main character, he realizes, and you know, we, we won't spoil it, you know, just in case you haven't seen Planet of the Apes because it's an older, an older film. Uh, so we won't spoil all of it, but let's just say that, you know, he, when he finds out where he's been all along, uh, it's, it's, shocking right especially you know the first time i saw this and i can't imagine watching it in 1968 i mean i wasn't alive then but um you know the first time you see this and you see the ending you see you know after everything you've experienced in this movie and you and you see what he sees mm -hmm. there's no music yeah you're just in it yeah and and then the credits come and there's still no music there is no music so not only is Taylor in it and you're watching it, you know, but then you're left there to reflect on what you just watched. Wow. So no brilliant move. Brilliant. It, is. it really works. Yeah. It, so, yeah. You know, when you think about, you know, a score like this, you know, the music, you know, it's atonal, you know, avant-garde in the sense of just the collection of instruments all over the place, all over the map, right? Um, and 
you know, if you go to a concert hall, you know, the person who probably loved this film, loved the film music would hear <laughs> this music in a concert hall and be like, I don't want any part of this. But it's just right. interesting what film can do for modern music or, you know, modern music oh, totally. for, for the time. So, yeah. so my next choice, I am going to one, um, you know, because I was thinking about gathering this list and I was like, you know, we need, we need a musical and we need one that was written for the film. And my choice is, you know, again, one of the most famous film scores of all time, 1939 Wizard of Oz. And mm. um, a couple of things, you know, drove me to to choose this one one is the is the balance between underscore and also the the song you know within sure. right so the musical yeah, yeah, yeah. number um so it was uh um harold arlen wrote the songs and herbert stothart um he um orchestrated the songs but he also wrote the the underscore uh, to this film, and um, I, I have two two scenes just just so we can hear, you know how how inventive at least the underscore was for the time nineteen thirty nine. Certainly in comparison to what we just heard with the with the Planet of the Apes. But let's start off in just the most famous scene that was almost cut from the movie because they thought it slowed down the pace. Now you just help us out today and find yourself a place where you won't get into any trouble. Some place where there isn't any trouble. Do you suppose there is such a place, Toto? There must be. It's not a place you can get to by a boat or a train. It's far, far away. Behind the moon. Beyond the rain. it just sets the tone to this movie you know instant classic right there mm. um and obviously you know when we talk about you know movie songs right it's gotta you know have a message right it's it's you know can't be something that isn't connected to either what's going to unfold or what you know the character is is feeling and obviously there's you know this is a loaded song in terms of, you know, Dorothy's perspective, right? She, mm. you know, was looking for, you know, something bigger than, you know, the farm she lives on, but also her place in the world. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a wonderful, um, yeah, number and just yeah. a treasure, I think. Amazing. Yeah. So, <laughs> so just, uh, just to sort of wrap up, um, this little, you know, uh, excursion into, 
um, Wizard of Oz, I'm going to just play you the tornado scene because this is where we hear some amazing <laughs> um, underscore. So we're going to start off yeah. when she runs into the house and then she gets whacked on the back of the head by the windows. off the house is spinning up in the in the air <laughs> I remember seeing this for the first time and being like what is happening you know she's <laughs> Like, right. why are they happy, you know? Yeah. Right, and we're hearing themes that will uh, will be uh, when she gets to the land of Oz. But one of the great leitmotifs in film music is this one. Man, she hit her head pretty hard. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is one of the great light motifs. Oh, yeah, because you could just, I mean, even now, like, everyone sees this film. That's that's the beauty of it, because it's a kid's film. And, you know, that they all mm -hmm. know it. You, you sing that, they know exactly, like, if you say that about a person, who they are, right? right? <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Perfect. All right. So what do you have up next? Yeah, so for my next one, we get the title credits going. And it's uh, Bernard Herman, North by Northwest. <laughs> Again, another great uh, title, opening title sequence, just like Psycho. Right. Rhythmic. Full of adventure, right? Yeah. This is so good, right at the, I think at the height of his powers, you know? Yeah, right. He was, they were churning out some classics. Yeah, so you get the credits there, then they they go to New York City, which is you know where the film starts. And the opening here is Saul Bass, the great title sequence creator. Oh yeah. So inventive. But I, I wanted to play that because, uh, you know, listening to the Psycho opening credits, it, it reminded me of of this one, how it, 
in the um, you know, like it, like a lot of great uh, opening title sequences, it, it, in in the in the best sense, it should set the scene for what you're about to witness. Mm -hmm. You know, both visually, you know, and also, um, you know, if the if the score is good, it'll it'll also set the set the tone. Right. You know, just just like you know, um, you know, you go to watch a Pink Panther film. And, you know, as soon as the music starts and you see those opening credits with, you know, the Pink Panther, you, you know what you're in for. You're in, you know, you're in for a really sophisticated, uh, f you know, funny, yep. um, you know, film, right? And right. With the, so, you know, with this, it sets the tone for the suspense and the action, um, uh, which is a very different than, say, what Psycho or Rear Window or Vertigo is right um the one that i want to also highlight is uh this tension cue that that um happens later in the film and it um i think it really shows you know uh his ability to be silent and then um you know with a like almost like a stinger mirror mirror the action on the on the on the screen and then um it goes from that to setting the kind of suspenseful chase that's about to happen or getaway. Gotcha. Um, and so, you know, this scene is uh, the main character, you know, he's trying to figure out, you know, this is all about mistaken identity and things like that. Um, and so he's talking to this guy at the UN who, um, you know, he, he's been to his house and someone else is there saying he's him. And so, you know, he, he tracks him down. He's just like, you know, who's living at your house? You know, who are these people, you know? Um, and so what happens is that a henchman from the bad guys, you know, he's waiting in the wings. And then before, you know, the character that Gary Cooper, uh, Gary Cooper, Gary, uh, Gary Grant, Gary Grant, sorry, had yeah. Gary on the brain. Yeah. Gary Grant is talking to, you know, he throws a knife and kills the dude that he's trying to get information from. So let's, uh, let's take a listen to uh, this cue. Nice. Look, do you know this man? <gasps> so he's been stabbed. Cary Grant grabs the knife from his back, shocked. He's got a knife, look out! Listen to me, I had nothing to do with this. Call the police! Wait a minute, wait a don't come any nearer, you get back. And off he goes. And go back to uh, the suspense theme that he heard in the opening. Yeah, he's just running now. And then it cues into another right. nice transition. Another scene. Yeah, yeah really, um, it's a great, great film. One of my favorite, and it and it's a great uh, balance <laughs> between um, you know suspense and action, um, and also like you know. He does a great job of just like letting you know like what is happening internally. So you know, there's um, you know, there's a great sequence on on the train where he meets you know the love interest of the film, and you know they they have this uh, he has this love theme between them, and at some point uh, you know they part ways and they're getting to the train station, and 
you hear the the theme or the the music starts to ramp up and be agitated because the police are coming on looking for him, you know, because of the knife thing and and um, that we just uh, listened to. So you're going between that music, very agitated, suspenseful, because you know he's trying to get away, and then you go to his love interest, Eve Marie Saint, and she's being questioned by the police. And so you hear the love theme, but it's more subdued. It, it's more, uh, the uh, harmonics, the harmony is is uh, more dissonant. It's in a in different voicing because now you know she's, you know, trying to cover for him, and and so you know, it's kind of, kind of like a, a cloud over that theme because she's trying to, you know, figure out what's going on and, you know, how much can she say and all that kind of stuff. So really great job of balancing all of those elements uh, to, to create you know, what I think is one of the great, great film scores that uh, Bernard Herrmann ever did. Yeah. And, you know, some, something else to note there is, you know, one of the most famous scenes, like if you see like a movie poster is, you know, a Cary Grant being chased by a plane, right? And in that right. famous sequence that you would think would have, you know, an immense amount of film music has none, right? And it's more yeah. about the space and hearing the plane get closer. Uh, just wonderful choice there. I just absolutely love it. You know, it's like mm -hmm. the example you gave with, uh, with the end of, in the credits for Planet of the Apes. Right. All right, so for, for my next one, we're coming to the end here. So I'm gonna go into the 2000s and I'm um, gonna pick a film score from 2007 by Dario Marinelli. Uh, this is called Atonement. Um, Joe Wright is the director. And, you know, there are a couple of reasons. I mean, this is a pretty heavy film about, you know, a um, sort of a love triangle. And then decisions were made uh, by one of the characters to really, you know, do do a lot of harm to another character's life. So the idea of the atonement is sort of this, but the opening, uh, there are two cues I get to play here. The opening one I think is just fantastic because it's um, it matches sound in the environment, right? So sound effects, and then it becomes part of the musical texture in such mm. a smooth way. So let's hear this opening. Right, so we come up on a little girl or a young teen typing. She's an aspiring novelist. walking but we're still hearing the typewriter hmm. and she's walking in the temple Yeah, so so there, right? Everything revolves around 
sort of this writer, right? So it's a beautiful way to get that in there, right? There's certainly um, a more modern sound that we're hearing, you know, a little bit of minimalism in the classic, not, not in the classic sense, but more in the texture. Um, but it's delightful, right? It's light and airy, yeah. but there's a heaviness to it as well. Um, yeah. Because this, yeah, this is pretty heavy. Um, so the other cue that I want to show you is um, it's, you know, towards the end of the film and we have the the scene at Dunkirk where all of the soldiers um, are trying to leave and they're, they're shooting horses. You know, people are doing the most craziest things, you know, gymnastics. I mean, it's just such an immense scene. Uh, in terms of coordination, but um, mm -hmm. here, what we'll hear is a, you know, sort of the mood of what has just happened, you know, the devastation, and the main character, James McAvoy, um, if I'm correct, yeah, McAvoy, um, walks up and is, you know, searching for someone, and he ends up walking by a group of soldiers in a gazebo overlooking the beach singing. And you don't hear it at the beginning, but it's such a great melding of the diegetic, right, and the non-diegetic, right? The diegetic being the, um, the soldiers singing. So mm -hmm. let's hear that cue. That's not right. People are just delirious. So we're coming up to the gazebo.
hearing from the point of view of that camera, which is basically his point of view. Yeah. You know, and it has a nice sort of um, use of the cello, you know, and I, I think the cello, its role in many film scores is sort of that dark, mostly male sort of perspective, right? It's a, mm -hmm. a, a lonely instrument many times, I, I think, in, in film music. And um, yeah, this is one of the great cues uh, in my mind in, in the history of film you know yeah i mean that that uh, cue alone should have gotten them best sound editing right you know what i mean <laughs> i don't know what they won that year but it's great yeah um yeah amazing and what a scene mm -hmm. you know to i mean i i realize a lot of it's enhanced but it's really amazing yeah all right so for my last one uh, of this episode we got um you know it's time for me to uh, bring in the you know, the king, if uh, Max Steiner is the, you know, the kind of the godfather of, of, you know, film scores, then the king has to be John Williams. And so, um, you know, you have Close Encounters for your first one of yours. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. and, and mine is uh, Jaws. Right, in the same, you know, era, actually, of his career. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this is 1975. And, and uh, so this is, you know, before, before uh, Star Wars, this is before uh, Close Encounters. Um, you know, this was, you know, a, really a big film. I mean, it was like the first, you know, summer blockbuster, really. Right. Um, you know, because before, you know, they didn't put big films in the summer. Right. And this one actually, if I, if I remember correctly, like this one wasn't going to be in the summer, but it got delayed. You know, for I think it might have been because of the mechanical shark. I'm not sure. Yeah, but it was delayed, and so it was released in the summer. And of course, the rest is history. Um, uh, but you know, this one. So you know, obviously, it's known for the iconic shark theme. Mm -hmm. and we're certainly gonna, yeah. You know, certainly, we'll listen to it and we'll talk about it. But um, there's so much more to this score than that two note motif. It, it, and, and I just, uh, I just watched it actually um, last night for the first time in quite a while. You know, I had listened to cues as, as we were preparing for this, but um, uh, my wife hadn't seen it yet. So, you know, we um, were kind of going through the uh, AFI top 100 film list. And so, um, so we decided to, to watch Jaws since this was one of the films that I was going to talk about. And uh, well, one, it totally holds up. Oh yeah, Definitely. it totally holds up. So well done. And but you know, so you have the iconic theme. And what's great about it? Well, actually, let's listen to listen to it first because so this is the uh, opening uh, scene. This is the uh, and we're not gonna we're just gonna listen to the music rather than the the film itself because uh, we don't want to. I don't want to get get distracted by. Uh, the shark's first kill and, you know, all the sounds, sound effects and stuff. Uh, Cause it's, this is a, a at least a PG 13 uh, <laughs> pod, podcast, right? <laughs> so, but, but what you'll hear is, uh, you know, the, the opening scene right after, 
you know, right at, right when, uh, you know, the, the first victim like jumps into the water right. and, you and, know, and she swim- swims way too far out for my, yeah, she's, yeah. <laughs> so she, she deserved to die. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> so why don't we, uh, when we, when we play it and then I'll, okay. Yeah. So what you see here is, you know, she's, you're seeing from a below. And now you hear that theme. He's starting to stalk her. Yeah, now you know the shit's down. Yeah, right. Speeds up. That's the first bite. In shock, right? You can see it. Yeah. Another bite. Total chaos. Another bite. Another one. It's being thrashed around, it's pretty terrifying. And she holds up longer than you think. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, she's out near a buoy. Yeah, it's hanging onto a buoy. Yeah, we can stop it here. So, you know, what's great about this theme is that, you know, it's it, it becomes, um, you know, really part of the zeitgeist. I mean, you know, you could you could go up to a five-year-old and, and just go dun, 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 dun. And they'll be like, shark. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. They've probably never seen the film. I hope they haven't. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> and but yeah, but it's really really amazing. And and the great thing is you can slow it down, you can speed it up, and he does. You know, depending on where the shark is, the the theme is the shark in the first half of the film. We don't see the shark. Right. Until it's all like there. right. Yeah, we don't see him until uh, at least the second act. You know. Um, a lot of it had to do with mechanical problems with their with the mechanical shark, right? Mm -hmm. But I think it turned out brilliant, brilliantly because it's all in our imagination. So we can tell when the shark is around because the theme is there. And there are actually parts in the in the film where you know there are false alarms, like the one famous uh, famous one is. Uh, you know, it was like the 4th of July. There's a crap ton of people on the beach. Yeah. And, you know, someone yells shark because they thought they saw a shark. And everyone's running around and stuff like that. But you don't hear the shark theme. Right. You don't hear it because he's not actually there. Right. You know, so it's really a great use of the theme is the character. The theme is the shark. And the design of it is it's very matter of fact and it's a machine right they talk about it as yeah. an eating machine and you know williams design of that very simple very adaptable light motif is is great you know i mean it yeah. just works perfect simplicity right simplicity yeah totally and um you know a couple of things um before we listen to that a second cue is um you know great use of diegetic music in this too Yep. Because you have like, so after that first kill, there's almost no music for like 15 minutes mm -hmm. of films of film score music. Yeah. Of the non non-diegetic. 
but you have like a marching band playing, you have like, you know, the radio being played on the beach, you know, so you have, you know, this kind of ambient music that people are listening to in the film, this, the diegetic uh, music, and you have a, uh, a sea chanty, yeah. a sea shanty yeah. that, um, that Quint sings, and it becomes basically his kind of theme. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and, you know, he, and he, um, you know, he sings it at, at Cooper or Hooper, uh, which is uh, Richard Dreyfuss's character, um, almost kind of mocking him. But then later you, he sings it again as, you know, they're kind of getting their preparations late, you know, to hunt the shark. And then Williams will then pick up on it and actually use that in the orchestra, the, the theme of the shanty. And then toward the end, when Quint is starting to lose it, he sings it totally differently. Like, you know, he's just like, yeah, this guy's gone. Yeah, right. You know what I mean, mm-hmm. this is the way he's singing it. It's really, <laughs> really a great, um, great use of, of the diegetic. And so, so that's the first half of the film is, is the kind of the shark theme and the, and the diegetic stuff. And then the second half of the film, when the, when the three main characters go out on the beat or go out on the boat to um, go after the shark, it, it becomes like this swashbuckling, you know, almost like a pirate movie or something. You know what I mean? Like yeah. a very action oriented. It's lighter for the most part, you know, with, with obviously scenes of, you know, suspense and stuff, but it becomes a lot lighter and, and very swashbuckling. And so you, uh, the, this cue that I want to want to play here is when they're trying to, um, you know, shoot like a harpoon or whatever spear into the shark and, and, uh, tie, um, these, you know, kind of buoyed barrels to it. Right. To tire it out. And, right. Yeah. To tire it out and keep it from going under. Mm-hmm. And so when you, uh, the music that you hear is not the shark theme, um, primarily, but you hear these three interwoven themes of, of, um, the chief Hooper and, uh, Quint going back and forth. And sometimes it's like when Quint is yelling their name, giving them instructions, you hear a little bit of their theme. Great. You know, and it kind of plays around and it really becomes kind of, um, uh, it reminded me, it reminded me a little bit of hook actually. Hmm. Um, and, and, and just kind of the, the sweepingness of it, but yeah. And very, very corn, corn, uh, corn gold type stuff going on. Right. Too, Who's the master but, of the early swashbuckling films. Yeah. Let's, let's check this out. Time. Very heroic. Ah, their hopes are dashed. <laughs> yeah, the barrel goes down, and uh, you know, the, and the and the theme goes downwind with it. So you know, just a really fun, completely different than that first half, which is you know basically sheer terror. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and you know he. There are so many good cues in this. I mean, there's another great cue where, you know, uh, the chief is with his son and, you know, 
the, they just had their second victim and, you know, he's just kind of down and his son's trying to cheer him up. He, he like, he's like mimicking everything he does. And the, the music that's played is very playful um, to, you know, because it is a little bit of a kind of humorous mm, yeah. un- underscored scene, but there is this, but the, the way he uh, voiced it, you have like the little, you know, kind of chimey thing that's very playful up top, but there's some like, vo- there's also the bass is voiced very far, you know, it's very low. And so there's like this undercurrent of tension um, because, you know, the, the, the death of that second victim is still in the chief's mind. Right. Even though, you know, he's having some fun with his kid. Right. So, I mean, just, I, th- I think one of his best, um, his best scores, John Williams. Yeah. Well, great, great choice. Um, so just a review here. So this is going to end uh, this, this podcast, but so my number one um, was King Kong. Um, Domingos, your, yours was, well, I'll, I'll do my top five and then you do your top five. So my first sure. was uh, King Kong, uh, Max Steiner. Okay. Uh, my two was Psycho by Bernard Herman. Okay. Three was Close Encounters of the Third Kind, John Williams. And then I had Wizard of Oz, that's Arlen and Stothart. And my last, uh, in the fifth one, which I might've said it was four, was uh, Dario Marinelli's uh, score to Atonement. Nice. Yeah, and my five for this episode is Ennio Morricone's uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, um, Maurice Jarre's Lawrence of Arabia, Jerry Goldsmith, Planet of the Apes, Bernard Herman, North by Northwest, and then Maestro's uh, John Williams' Jaws. All right, I can't wait to see what you get on your list. Um, and yeah, we'll, uh, we'll pick up our discussion. We'll have a little bit of, uh, some more excerpts as well as we uh, go on to next week. All right. So man, fun, fun discussion. Yeah. I'll, uh, thank you everyone for listening. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll catch you next time. Yeah. See you next time. Thanks for listening to dude. Exactly. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review. And if you didn't enjoy the podcast, please don't. To catch more episodes, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also reach us at dudeexactly at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening to Dude. Exactly.